Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Asband, our daf of the day, Masachet Shabbat, Kuf Lamed Tet, 139. Today's daf opens, and we're opening with it, with a passage that is prescient. It is so applicable to today. I'm not even going to explain it until I read it. Tanya, Rabbi Yossi ben Elisha Omer, Im ra'ita dur shetzarot rabot ba'ot alav. Rabbi Yosef ben Elisha says, if you see a generation that has many troubles befalling it, meaning in that era, say, uvdok b'dayane Israel, go out and check out the judges amongst Israel, the judges of Israel, shekol parnut olam lo ba ela bishvil Israel. The only punishment, the calamities that can befall the world only come about because of the judges of Israel. And we have a verse to prove this from the prophet Micha, which is in Treyasar. And so on. And here's a translation of the verse. Please hear this, heads of the house of Jacob and officers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with blood and Yerushalayim with iniquity, sin. Their heads they judge for bribes and their priests they teach for hire and their prophets divine for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and the verse continues saying, is not the Lord in our midst? No evil shall befall us. This is kind of the definition of corruption. In the past, what I have <coughs> learned and then taught, say for Micha, um, what jumped out at me as the essence of the book is very much a matter of paying attention to the sins between Ben Adam human beings amongst our own, um, and the problems of leadership. And Micha comes and he rebukes. Here we see it, right? Judges for taking bribery, judges for being corrupt, Kohanim for messing around. Right? There's all kinds of, of leadership issues going on in the book, um, as opposed to, for example, there are other prophets where they'll say, oh, like Yishayahu says, oh, B'nai Israel, when you offer your carbonate, you don't really mean what you're doing. Right? That's a man, human being to God type of sin. Right? Micha is all about what's going on amongst the people. Um, and, you know, as I say, I find this to be troubling and prescient because it's, you know, so much when we look around, we see we have trouble in our, in our paradise, right? Trouble in our society. And there are multiple troubles in our society. And we know that we have, we live, we're lucky enough to live in an era of Diana Israel. We have judges. And I don't mean like Shoftim, I don't mean like the book of judges, but we have a Jewish leadership and a Jewish religious leadership and a Jewish secular leadership. And, um, and we have troubles in the world. Well, look, when you read, what's interesting to me is I think this is a continuation or obviously Chazal saw something um, that even the prophets talked about. And I think we see it's really just a generation's old problem, which is that leaders tend to be, have a tendency towards corruption um, and not necessarily judging fairly. Um, and we see this talked about in Nevi'im. And the fact that it's brought down here also means that I think they also saw this as a problem. 
Um, and I think if you were to think about a little bit like what the theme of this page is, um, even though the way they get to some of the topics um, is, you know, it starts from a point of corrupt judges and then it gets into another discussion, which is sort of about um, giving judgment or sharing. And when I say judgment here, I also mean, I think they also mean like not, you know, which could have been given out in a Besden, but um, making sure that your judgment is not going to be misused or abused by other people. Um, so there just seems to be sort of an overall theme of like how judgment um, can be misused. I think that's a valuable theme of our DAF. I also want to note that there is very clearly um, an impetus here or even a conclusion to say, you know, when something happens, it happens for a reason. And if we have bad things that happen in the world, we need to find what that is and we can, we have a place to lay, lay that blame. And I'm not saying that's not what happens, right? But this, this section is very much, right? Like, if there's any trouble in the whole world, it's because of Diana Israel, which well may be, right? But I'm talking about the causation element there is something that I think modern ears have a hard time hearing because we so, I know I say, we don't know how God runs this world. We've talked about this on the, on the podcast already, right? We don't know how God chooses to do the good things and the bad things to the good people and the bad people, right? So if we have an issue of, trouble in the world, right? So then to find the causation to say that's because there was corruption amongst the Israel um, is on the one hand, very difficult. And on the other hand, helpful because it provides us with, you know, an explanation of what's going on. Well, you know, when I think about that, and especially now we're recording this in the period of the nine days, which I think is a natural time to reflect on you know, why bad things happen and hard times sort of in our history as a Jewish people. Um, I think this year, Tisha B'Av in this period of time has a particular sort of reflection as I think many of us are living through, um, you know, at least on a national level, sort of the most difficult thing that many of us um, have ever lived through as a human. Um, and, you know, I think on the one hand, when we read this, the Talmud very much, and even medieval literature, you know, the theme is very much when something bad happens, our job as a religious spiritual person is to look and see what's the reason for that. And I think particularly in a post-Holocaust world, we tend to shudder at that a little bit. You know, who right. are we to say like why something bad happened or why we understand the cause? I read these types of Gemaras very differently, which is in a way, I think it's almost saying like when the world feels out of control, you can always have the power to look at your actions and control what your actions are going. This is very, very Victor Frankl of me in a way, right? So, <laughs> no, but I think, I think that but I it's think, a but point. I think, that's I think the, it's a valid, right. important point. Also, because we're not talking here about the individual, right? We're talking about stuff in the world. Right. Which... And I think that's the, that's, that's the derech of Chuba that they want us to get at. So whenever we have these gemaras of, X, Y, and Z bad thing happen, or, you know, something bad's happening, do A, B, and C, or look at A, B, and Z, A, B, and C, examine that. I think the intention is really to say that when we do teshuva in a way that is taking control over something that feels very chaotic or traumatic to us. And I don't know that what they're saying always is, and then it will turn good for you. <laughs> right. But it's maybe a way it's a coping mechanism in a way. I don't know. 
maybe I'm over over reading it, but but I think, but again, I know what you mean. In the post, <laughs> I think it's a cool world, right? We we really we really don't like these types of uh, of of ideas that link, you know, bad with a punishment or or an outcome or suffering or something like that. So I say both sides, right? On the one hand, I think that it's a it does function as a coping me- mechanism. I do think it's something that we have discomfort with, and then on the other side of it is. I don't know, you know, like I don't, the same way I don't know how God runs, runs the world and I'm not going to presume to know, I can't ignore the fact that this is certainly like a valid chazal on the world is something we need to pay attention to also. Maybe this really is, listen, we know of stories of, of all kinds of crazy corruption going on in this world. So it, in the Jewish world, in the world of Jewish judgment and leadership, right? So it's entirely plausible to me you know, again, with whatever discomfort I might have with it, to say that there is effect on the whole world from, or from, or on the Jewish world from the phenomenon of leadership not really being doing the hayashar v'hatov, right, doing the straight and the upright and the good. You know, I, if we're going to say that the world is all connected and all kinds of things can have impact, sure, you know, this this does to some extent make sense to me. I would say also that. I, I think that the role that the Navi plays to say to society, you are doing the wrong thing, right? That is what Micha does in his society. He says, you are doing the wrong thing. Then they do tshuva. And then there's a whole big concern that what he said was not going to come to pass. And does that make him a Navi Sheker? Does that make him lying? And the answer is no, he's not lying. He, they did tshuva like it worked, which is unheard of, right? Mm-hmm. Micha's an unusual Navi in that way. So, so the fact that somebody can stand up and give rebuke for somebody, for, for those who are doing wrong, and that helps shift the world to the better, I think is also something we should pay attention to and, and find, you know, those places to give rebuke and, and to the extent we can improve our situation. Right. And I'll, I'll just end with this. I think, you know, what you were sort of saying is I think the other way to read these Gemaras, particularly this one with the judges, you know, it, maybe it's not in the form of punishment as much as like, yes, if society is run by corrupt people, society's just not going to be good. It's not even punishment. It's just, it's just it's a mess. It's going to be a good place to live. It's just going to be a mess. And maybe that's the punishment that you suffer by having leaders who are bad. Hey, listen, I've been saying for days now that, I, you know, we were living in a time of Helm. Now, with no offense to Helm, right? We're talking about a mess. There's a mess. You know, there's yeah. a lot of messy messiness going on right there's now. There's a lot of messiness going on. So I want to jump to something else that's here which is this interesting story that they tell of, you know, of, uh, of um, you know, the story about Levi. Ranger came to Levi with these questions, right? Adazil and Nach Nafshei de Levi. Um, and Levi ended up, uh, sorry, Shlachu Levi Bashkar, right? So this town folk of this place, Bashkar, which happened to not be in Israel, um, as we see from one of those questions, Right. They went to Levi and they asked him these three questions about, you know, spreading a uh, canopy on Shabbat, about planting hops in a vineyard. Right. Which was a question of Kilayim. And um, and then the third one was the halacha about burying somebody on Yom Tov um, and Levi dies. And so Shmuel goes to this Rav Menashe and says to him, OK, you're wise. I want you to go ahead and you can go ahead and answer them. And what basically gets worked out here is, is that in all the cases 
um, he could have figured out a way to tell them that what they were asking was actually permissible. But it comes to the same thing, which is in the end, he doesn't want to Lafiche non B'nai Torah because they were basically not B'nai Torah. And therefore, there was a concern about giving them sort of some type of kula, of giving them a leniency because maybe they would come to then just take leniencies in other areas. Um, and I, you know, I just thought that that was a very interesting approach to Psak Halacha because, you know, on the one hand, it's like, isn't the Halacha just the Halacha? Like if you're asked to Shaila, then you're just supposed to do what the answer, you know what I'm saying? Like you're just supposed to do whatever it is. Um, and here, um, you know, it's sort of saying that like, no, it was actually impacted by who the people were who actually asked him, um, you know, who actually asked him a question. Um, so I thought that was, you know, very interesting. And then that gets into a whole discussion from there. Um, this isn't the part that I actually want to read inside. I want to read something a little bit later, uh, earlier inside. You know, then it gets into a discussion about a whole thing uh, up until the Mishnah, uh, you know, just about this whole question of how, um, I guess you print this uh, as uh, Harama, right? Like, in other words, creating sort of a, a loophole, basically, right? That you're allowed to create a loophole or to basically circumvent something, um, you know, when it comes to rabbinic law, right? You're not allowed to do it if it's a deraisa, um, but situations where that type of thing is totally allowed. And it ends with telling the story of, um, you know, this Torah scholar, right? Rav Huna ben Rabbi uh, uh, Chavon, or some people say it was Rav Huna, the son of Rabbi Chalvan, right? Who took this slice of garlic and he put it in top of the barrel and he said, oh, I'm there to store it, right? Even though it was clearly he stopped the spout, but the idea was he found a, a, a sort of a loophole by saying, I'm storing the garlic. And then the other story was, was that he went to sleep on a ferry, right? That was crossing a river. Um, and then he, um, you know, so that he could inspect this fruit in his vineyard. And he said that he, um, you know, that he went to sleep. That's what he went to do on the ferry. Not that he went to cross the river, which is what would be prohibited on Shabbat. So I think the contrast of these two stories is just very interesting because here it's specifically referring to this person as the, he's a Torah scholar, right? It specifically says, Amrulei Rabbanan Ravashi, right? The rabbi said to Rav Ashi, Chazimar, look at this, you know, look at this master, right? Look at what he, you know, look what this Torah scholar did in contrast to the questions that were asked by, you know, this uh, B'nai Bakshar, where we basically said in the end, like, we weren't going to allow them the leniency because they weren't really B'nai Torah. And I think it's interesting here that the Gemara in a way is sort of saying, not explicitly, but implicitly, that, you know, B'nai Torah can sort of take certain leniencies because they really understand the law, whereas we actually have to be careful, careful with leniencies with other people when they're not really B'nai Torah. I think that's a fair distinction. I mean... I feel like it's a little bit elitist and we kind of don't like that either. I was going to use the word elitist, but I was waiting for you to. I think it is elitist. <laughs> I think it is. On the top, but it's but so I'm not sure that's that bad. Stories, but it's so striking that these two stories are next to each other. Right, right, right. You know, where one is basically saying we can't give a leniency. They're not B'nai Torah. And then the last stories are, oh, this look how smart this Talmud Chacham was. He took these leniencies. He figured out a way to do like a loophole. Right, but now also put it back, you want to talk about a theme of the daf, and you put it back with the beginning where the people who are at the top of the game 
are messed up, right? So I don't know. I think that the the phenomenon of having an elite is something that Torah recognizes. I think that ignoring that fact is, you know, would be difficult. Um, and recognizing that there are challenges in both directions, like to what extent are you a role model? To what extent, you know, can you get away with something because you because you know better, right? It's tricky. And I think that who's watching makes a difference also. Right. Now, I just want to point out one quick thing that's on this page, which I just think was an interesting halacha thing. This is kind of like a what's what. Um, when they're talking about the case of the of the hops and the kilayim, the kashuts of the karma, um, and it's a question if that would be kilayim, right? You know, not being allowed to plant a mixture of, of, of seeds. And then they quote this Rabbi Tarfon, right? Rabbi Tarfon, Omer, ain't kilayim bakaram, right? Rabbi Tarfon says, this wouldn't be kilayim. There's no kilayim of food crops in a vineyard. The chachamim kilayim bakaram. The chacham say there is kilayim. And then this was the important thing that I just think everyone should know in terms of halacha. The kaimalan kol ha-mekel ba'aretz, halacha kmuto b'chutz la'aretz, lefishen b'chutz la'aretz, right? Which basically is saying that we, the, the, but the standard is, is that if there's a leniency, right, with regard to agriculture, halachot, and Eretz Yisrael, right, and Rabbi Tarfon had a leniency, right, where he said that there was no kilayim in, uh, in a kerem, then we follow that principle outside of Eretz Yisrael, right, when we have agricultural law that is going to apply to outside of Eretz Yisrael, not all agricultural law does, we follow the more lenient position if there is a lenient position for inside Eretz Yisrael, that's what we hold outside of Eretz Yisrael. But here, right, we say at the end, right, but he didn't give him this leniency, this people, right, so where they were, this town where they asked from. So it's two things that's interesting here. One is that principle about that leniency. Um, the second piece is, is that this uh, B'nai uh, Bash, Bashkar was obviously was a place outside of Eretz Yisrael. Um, right. But that ultimately they weren't given this leniency because as we explained before, because they were not actually B'nai Torah. But from a halachic point of view, I think that's just an important principle that the Gemara establishes here. So I, I think that this speaks to our point before about elitism, elitism, right? This idea that there are certain things that Eretz Yisrael has a different law about. And we're not going to say, oh, we're just going to equalize everything across the whole world. We're going to say, all right, you know what? That stringency is going to hold in Israel, because in the land of Israel, I mean, because, because that's what we do. We have stringencies. We're going to go to the stricter interpretation of the law in the land of Israel. And we're going to allow that leniency outside of the land of Israel because, because we can, because there's reason to have, listen, there's, there's more going on. You need to have some kind of wiggle room in your crops, whatever it is, right? That, that there's a motivation to have to be able to apply that leniency. Um, I want to now just read the next, it's almost the next bit in the Gemara in that same discussion about the hops and also the question of to what extent can you have a loophole, right? To kind of get around your requirements there. Rav Yahiv Puta Litinok Goy Vizarale. The Gemara tells the story that Rav Masharshia would give a small coin, pruta, right? A small amount of money to a tinok goy, to somebody who is a child who is not Jewish. This does not mean, tinok here does not mean, you know, a toddler. It means somebody who is not um, an adult. Tinok goy vizarale. And that person, that child who is not Jewish, would do the sowing of the hops for him, right? Because that kid is both A, not 
he's a child, so he's not obligated mitzvot, but also he's not Jewish, so he's not obligated mitzvot. So you kind of remove that whole concern of doing the kilayim problem to begin with. You're okay, right? So the Gemara says, so let him give the whole, give the pruta and, and the job to a child who is Jewish, who also is not obligated to mitzvot. What do you have to go to a non-Jew for? Right? And then, so the Gemara answers, Ati lemisrach. But he, the Jewish child, might grow up in this habit of pract- of sowing the hops in the vineyard, which would be a problem when he comes to be an adult, right? Meaning he he might grow up to think that it's fine. I, I always wonder about these things because I'm not sure why you can't teach the child that you can't do it, but okay, whatever. Certainly it's a, it would be a very bad mixed message. I'll you know allow that. Frankly, hiring the non-Jew to do this is also a pretty bad mixed message, if you ask me. So give it to a non-Jew who's an adult. Right? What do you need a child who's a who's a non-Jew? Why can't you go to a non-Jewish adult and and let them do the sewing? Why not? Ati The concern is that the people seeing this adult doing the sewing of the hops in the vineyard might then think that the person is a is a Jew, right? And then and then there it's going to be a whole Maritzian issue of thinking or or right thinking that it's a permissible thing to do because you've got an adult Jew doing this sewing of the hops. Then you're okay, but anybody um, then you're that you're that you're doing something that's okay when it's really not okay. But anybody watching the non-Jewish child who might not even quite realize that it's a non-Jewish child would know that you know it's a child doing it because an adult can't do it because it's not really okay to do. And then you're not concerned that the kid himself is going to grow up to think that it's okay for him to do, which would be the concern if it's a Jewish child. So we have Rav Masharshi taking figuring out a way that will prevent misunderstanding of what's happening and getting his hop sewn in his vineyard, even though, right? So this is my question is, you know, the Gemara doesn't, the Gemara explains why he's using the loophole in this way. It doesn't ever rebuke him for choosing a loophole. It doesn't, right? He's, he's allowed to do the harvest. He's just not allowed to do the sewing. Right. Which is also interesting. I mean, you know, again, it's an example of a particular rabbi using a loophole. So that to me is interesting. Um, and but it's also interesting to see what the parameters of that loophole are. And the parameters seem to really be around education, which, again, if we want to tie it back to that original story. Right. One could say in a way like a child is not a B'nai Torah yet or doesn't understand enough of what he's really seeing and is going to commit something to memory as an adult that he'll remember as an adult later, which wasn't actually true. So in a way, you wouldn't want to teach that child the leniency because they'll misinterpret it and then extend it to something else in their own adult practice. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, listen, what do, you, what do we call education, right? In this case, there's also the question of whether we're going, the bystander is going to look at the person in the position of authority and think that they're doing the wrong thing, right? Which is that same added wrinkle of, of what level of responsibility does he have? What does Rav Masharsh himself have in this context? Okay, so I think our theme for the day is elitism and loopholes. <laughs> um, or responsibility, moral responsibility, leadership. So leadership, many ways right. to look at the same thing, right? Meaning we can come at it from the negative, from the positive, from right? But it is all, all of a piece. Right, it's yeah. all ultimately about leadership and how do we use halakhic leadership and, you know, in a way that could be seen as elitist, but maybe in a way is actually protective 
um, you know, being careful about how do we extend certain leniencies and who's allowed to enact those those leniencies. And is that, you know, connected to the original discussion at the top of our DAF about corrupt judges and our corrupt, you know, sort of spiritual leaders? I would say, I would, I would hazard a guess that there are those for whom this is the single most important topic, you know, in all of the different areas of topics that religion can address, right? This, this is one of the big ones that it makes people lose faith. It makes people drawn to leadership, right? It's, it's part of the whole idea of, of what helps us all, you know, function better as a society, as individuals, as a world. Right, that we are able to have, please God, we hope we have good, responsible leaders teaching us what to do, which is exactly what, right, right. Whether whether the loophole is the best way to do it, certainly we have a, a model there for being careful about how to apply the halakha. Well, that's our DAP for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and what you think about. Uh, elements of leadership and leniency. Um, maybe that's our title, leadership and leniency. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, on our Talking Town with Facebook page, and until tomorrow, go and learn.